0: Uh, Keep your Bible open there, Matthew chapter 22, and also if you have your sermon outline, that'll give you a bit of a direction on where we're going. I should uh, warn you, in a moment I'm going to ask a question and I'm keen for your answers, so just be ready for that. Uh, But first, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that we've been able to hear your word read. Help us now to dive into it, to be excited to see the treasures that are found uh, as you speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I warned, today I want to start with a question. This is the question, who are the go-to gurus of today? Uh, Who are the life experts, the people that people think are wise and they want to listen to? So I'll ramble a little bit so you can think of your answers. Uh, This is not a rhetorical question. I need some answers from the floor. They could be living or dead, uh, but someone that people seek wisdom from today. Just shout it out. You don't need to put your hand up or anything like that. The gurus of today. Let me hear some. YouTube. YouTube. Not a person, but legitimate answer. I look at YouTube all the time for reviews on different things. All the time. Other gurus. Oprah. Oprah. There you go. People love to listen to Oprah. Do you listen to Oprah, Jacob? All the time, all the time he says. <laughs> sure. Okay. Other gurus. They don't have to be your own, or well, they could be. I was afraid someone was going to... Oh, was that an answer? Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci, okay, yep. There's a bit of political nature to that one. Politicians are pretty significant, aren't they, in that kind of regard. This morning someone said uh, Barack Obama, and I was like, well, it's interesting that people still want to listen to him. I don't think anyone still wants to listen to Donald Trump, like as the next president so, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Dr. Justin Colson, parenting stuff. Oh, maybe I should get onto that, being a parent, but I'm not onto that. Maybe I should find out from this guru. Uh, there's all kinds of voices. So I was afraid someone was going to say something about like gaming or Minecraft, and I was going to show how uncultured I am, but now I've just done that for you. So, sorry about that. Um, Well, yeah, today in Matthew, there is a little bit of a battle of the gurus going on uh, as the religious leaders come and quiz Jesus. Uh, Now, turn up Matthew 22 so that we can see where we are. Uh, Now, remember where we are in the story so far as we've been reading through Matthew's gospel. Uh, Remember that Jesus, he's in Jerusalem, uh, isn't he? He's in the capital, the heart of Israel. He's there for the Jewish festival in the last few days before he goes to the cross. And at this point, everything is kind of coming to a head. There's a great buzz in the city. There's people asking, as he heals and he teaches people, is this the Messiah? Is he the son of David, the king? But the religious leaders, well, they lock horns with Jesus, don't they? They've stepped into the ring with each other and they're kind of fighting it out. The religious leaders, they question his authority, who he is. And Jesus, well, he, he keeps rebuking them. He, he rips into them for their, for their unfaithfulness, their heartless religiosity, and kind of their outward uh, you know, worship of God, which isn't heartfelt worship of God. And he pronounces judgment on them. Do you remember last week's parable? He speaks a parable against them. If they refuse him, if they refuse Jesus... And God's invitation to his kingdom, to the heavenly banquet of his son, will they will be shut out. Death and hell will be their destiny. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. and, And they will only have themselves to blame. And so the conflict now continues. Now the religious leaders, they decide to go on the front foot. Instead of responding to Jesus, they decide to attack him head on. And they come to him with trick questions. Questions that they think he won't be able to answer. Questions that they want to get him in trouble with in one way or another. So look at verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him by what he said. In verse 23, the Sadducees come with a question. In verse 34, the Pharisees come again with another test question. And so for the next few weeks, these next few weeks, we're going to look at these three tests that the religious leaders set for Jesus. And we'll see how Jesus responds to each one as the tension rises. And well, today we look at test number one. So come with me. Let's see how Jesus responds. Will he pass the test? Uh, We start with the Pharisees' trap in verse 15. Chapter 22, verse 15. Look again. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him by what he said. But, verse 16, they don't go to Jesus directly themselves. No, what do they do? Verse 16, they sent their disciples to him and the Herodians. See, the Pharisees are smart. They're smart and they're cowards. The Pharisees, they're the gurus. They're the ones who know God's law, who have strict morality. They're the ones who study the scriptures and tell other people to obey them. Everyone looks up to them. Everyone fears them, and they've got an image to uphold. And so they don't go to Jesus directly. They don't want to come to him publicly. Everyone loves Jesus. They don't want to be seen to be against him. So they send their disciples, their underlings, their apprentices, to ask Jesus a question. Now, the funny thing is that Matthew has recorded that it was the Pharisees who sent these people, and so their secrecy didn't really work in the end, did it? shame on them uh, but it's the pharisees disciples plus the herodians now we don't know much about the herodians uh, it seems they were supporters or ambassadors of king herod and, and so this therefore is a likely unlikely alliance the pharisees and the herodians they wouldn't be friends yet they join forces against jesus now it's a politically charged situation and so they bring a politically charged question to Jesus but not before a bit of good old-fashioned flattery look at verse 16 teacher they said very respectful we know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God that's basically a lie they don't actually think that you defer to no one for you don't show partiality We know you don't care what people think about you, Jesus. We know you won't be uh, swayed by public opinion or by powerful people. And this is the setup for their tricky question. Verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What have they done here? They've set a test that Jesus will fail. So they think. See, this would have been one of the hot topics of the day. This would have been like a spicy, controversial question that all the gurus would have debated. Why? Because Israel, God's chosen people, they were not an independent nation. They were ruled over by the Roman Empire, by Caesar, the Roman Emperor. And so they had to pay tax to him, to Caesar, as part of his empire. And for many Jews, that was a horrible thing. God was their God. They were his people, and and so God was meant to be their king. We shouldn't have to pay tax to the pagans. We should only pay tax to the temple, God's temple, our true king. We should glorify him, not Caesar, a mere man. And so people debate it. Is it lawful? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar, or should we withhold? And you can see why they think they've caught Jesus. They're going to trap him in his words because... In their minds, Jesus has two, maybe three options. Option one is for Jesus to say, no, it's not right to pay tax to Caesar. And then they can say, aha, you're an anarchist. He's disloyal to Caesar. Let's Let's call King Herod and then they can deal with him. That's option number one. Option number two is for Jesus to say, yes. And then they can say, ah, so you support our pagan overlords. You want us to honor him instead of God. What kind of Jew are you? Whose side are you on? That's option two. Then option three, option three is for Jesus to say nothing, to give no answer. And so Jesus, he would be shown up, shown to have nothing to contribute, empty-handed. And people would think he's not worth listening to anymore. You see how clever, how conniving they are. Jesus, you don't defer to anyone, Right? How are you going to answer this one? Who are you going to bow to and cave to with this question? Show us your true colours. But before we see Jesus' response, it's worth pausing there for a moment because I think there's lessons in how the Pharisees come to Jesus that teach us how we shouldn't come to Jesus. Lessons that the Jewish leaders they're soon going to learn. First. You can't send someone else to Jesus for you. You need to listen to Jesus and engage with him and decide about him for yourself. You need to weigh up who he is and what he says. No one can do it for you. We're all accountable individually to Jesus for our response to him. You can't rely on what someone else says or what someone else believes. Second, you can't flatter or deceive Jesus. John says that Jesus knows what's in a person's heart. He doesn't need any man's testimony. You can't hide your motivations, your desires from Jesus. He sees it all with eyes like fiery flames. You can't pretend that you believe in him and pretend that you're doing things for him, but when you're serving yourself. He sees. He knows. You can't pull the wool over his eyes, so don't try. Third lesson. You can't approach Jesus to test or trap him. Do you put Jesus to the test? Do you ever try to scrutinize him? Maybe when you, there are times when you read or hear Jesus' word and, and you're trying to find a problem with it. Like the Pharisees, you're looking for something to disagree with, something that means you can write him off or you don't have to listen to what he says. Maybe even in your heart you say, Why should I trust you, Jesus? Prove yourself. I think we're all tempted at times to treat Jesus like that, like the Pharisees here. And so we should repent. We should confess and turn away from that that arrogance, that critical spirit that comes to Jesus with anything but humility. But now back to the story. Because here the Pharisees, the Herodians, they're really putting Jesus to the test. Should we pay tax to Caesar? They think they've cornered him and bested him. And so they sit back and laugh. Let's see what he says. And they would have cornered him. They would have bested him if if Jesus was not the truly wise one. And if he had not given this incredible reply. Look at it closely with me. Come with me. Verse 18. We see Jesus' response to this test. But perceiving their malice. Jesus is no fool. He knows their hearts, their intentions. Jesus said... Why are you testing me, hypocrites? If you try to test Jesus, he will expose you. Why the flattery and deception, he says. I know what you're up to. I know you're opposing me. Why are you doing that when you should be believing in me, listening to me? You of all people, the religious leaders who know the scriptures, should know who I am. And why do you think you can outsmart me? I think Jesus is saying because look at verse 19. Jesus, he doesn't answer yes Or no, or nothing, does he? Look at his masterful reply. Verse 19, he does a simple object lesson for them. He says, show me a coin used for the tax. Okay, they say. So they brought him a denarius. Here's a picture. A coin worth a day's wage. Jesus, he holds it up for them all to see and says, whose image and inscription is this? It's pretty obvious. They think it's Caesar's. It's Caesar's face. It's Caesar's words. Oh, I did that this morning as well. My notes went flying. Getting a bit excited. Uh, Well, someone else is excited. (laughs) Uh, Just like today, we we have Queen Elizabeth printed on our coins. Uh, If anyone uses coins anymore. I don't know if anyone here uses coins anymore. Probably not. Uh, But they say, Caesar, Caesar, he's on our coin. And with this, with their own words, with their own answer, Jesus puts the trap onto them look at verse 21 then jesus said to them therefore if this is caesar's faith on caesar's coin then give back to caesar the things that are caesar's and to god the things that are god's <clears throat> have you ever had one of those moments where someone says something just so totally unexpected so unpredicted that everyone just stands there a bit shocked for a second. Maybe there's a little awkward laughter and, and then awkward silence as people try to wrap their head around what was just said and, or as they come to realize what has just been said. That's this moment. Because Jesus doesn't say yes or no or nothing like they were expecting. What does he say? What is it that he says that is so masterful, so unexpected? Well, Jesus, he's not simply saying, yes, it's right to pay taxes to Caesar. His answer isn't as simple as that. And so they can't trap him and say, oh, you think Caesar's great. You love his oppression. You think he's wonderful. No, he's not saying that. Instead, he's saying, look, there are things that belong to Caesar and then there are things that belong to God. Both God and Caesar have a realm, a kingdom that they each rule. And you're part of both of them. But it's not as if God and Caesar have equal kingdoms, equal realms, both vying for our allegiance. No, God's kingdom, his rule, is above Caesar's, above all kings and kingdoms. Caesar rules the Roman Empire, God rules all existence. Everyone and everything, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it is how the Old Testament puts it. The heights and the depths belong to him. And so it's almost as if Jesus is saying, stop wasting your time debating this question and trying to trap me. The coin has Caesar's face on it. Just give it back to him. Who cares? But then the focus, but then he says, focus on the bigger thing." Focus on the big picture, giving to God what he deserves, what is due to him. Praise, worship, honor, glory, thanks, obedience, time, energy, money, everything in service of him. And as you do all of that, as part of giving to God what is God, what is due to him, well, you will pay your taxes. You will give to Caesar what is Caesar's because that's part of honouring God and obeying him. Is it right to pay tax to Caesar, they ask? Yes, Jesus says, but as part of giving to God what is truly his. It's worth just stepping back for a moment and thinking about what that means for us. What is Jesus saying for us here? It's not the only thing Jesus is saying, but... He's saying, loud, like he's saying loud and clear to his followers, pay your taxes. The Apostle Paul, he, he makes this abundantly clear in Romans 13. It's not just the Jews of Jesus' day who should pay tax to Caesar, to governing authority. No, Romans 13, everyone, all believers, must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. His rule is over and behind all other kingdoms. He goes on and brings it home in verse 6. And so for this reason, you pay taxes. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. Honour to those you owe honour. And so one of the take-homes from Jesus is pretty clear, isn't it? If you earn an income, declare it. Declare all of it and pay the tax the ATO says you should. That's just a practical, everyday, mundane way that you follow Jesus. Jesus desires that his people be full of integrity down to the smallest level of detail. Don't dishonor his name or cause his name to be maligned by unbelievers because they see us, believers, and say, ah, they're cheating on their taxes. But you do it as part of your worship of God, that's your motivation. In obedience to him for his glory, he is, your come. he is your king. He comes first. Now, there's so much more that we could say about government and taxes and civil obedience or disobedience, uh, but that's not actually the point of this passage. Jesus' goal here, he didn't, he didn't stand up and say, let me tell you about taxes and government for a second. No, he said, yes, he says, give to Caesar what he seizes, but the point of these chapters is that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jesus is locked horns with the religious leaders. These are the tests that they are bringing against him. And the point is, does he pass the test or not? Will they see him for who he is? And will they respond rightly to him? Because that's what the hypocrites, the Pharisees, the Herodians, they don't do that here, do they? They don't see him for who he is. They don't respond to him. Come with me now to the last part of the passage. We see this in just the last verse. Verse. Tune back in if you've drifted off. This is the point of it all. You see, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come to Jesus to trap him. He answers their question, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's. And then what do they do? Look at verse 22. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left and went away. They're speechless. I don't know what to say. They don't have any more cards to play. They've got nothing left up their sleeve. Jesus didn't answer with a yes or no or a nothing. In fact, he kind of answered with incredible insight and clarity, and now we don't know what to say. He told us to give to God what is rightfully his, and we're the religious leaders, so can't really argue with that, can we? They're amazed, startled, shocked. They can't understand how he beat them, and so what do they do? They just leave. They walk away from Jesus. And sadly, this response is only half right and it's repeated all the time through history. It's right that they are amazed, isn't it? Jesus' answer is amazing. These words, they're so famous and they're quoted so much that we just kind of get used to them. Render to Caesar, what is Caesar's? But Jesus, that answer is amazing. It's flawless. He gives just a few words and therefore speaks the truth about how we should think and live and also shuts up his opponents, the hypocrites. So they're amazed. But then what do they do? They walk away. Their amazement doesn't lead to repentance. Their amazement doesn't lead to asking more or listening to him or trusting in him, recognizing that he's the Messiah. Their hearts are not on about God's glory. If they were giving to God what is God's, they would have recognized that this is his son. They would have listened to him instead of testing him, trapping him and just walking away. I wonder if you've seen that happen before. Someone who is intrigued, even amazed at Jesus in the Bible, but then they just walk away from him because they don't want to admit that he's right. They don't want to say, he is Lord. They don't want to accept the grace that he has on offer and change in light of it. So that's the wrong response of the Pharisees. And as we see the wrong response to Jesus here, we need to ask, what's the right response? What's the right response to Jesus in these verses? The right response is to be amazed by Jesus, isn't it? But not to leave it there. The right response is to be amazed and then to trust in him, to listen to him. Don't test him and then walk away because he exposes you or didn't like what he said. No, recognize him for who he is. He is the Messiah, God's King, the one sent to die for your sin and then rise again to rule over all people and all things. And in particular, in this passage, we see Jesus is the truly wise one perfect in wisdom and understanding. Here Matthew shows us there is no man, no person, no guru who has the wisdom and and insight and understanding and clarity that Jesus has. You can listen to Buddha or Plato or Gandhi or Muhammad or Nietzsche or Darwin or Tony Robbins or the lofty Jordan Peterson. They're fools. Fools. When you see the wisdom and insight and understanding, the treasures of all those things that Jesus has and is. It's not as if those people don't have anything good to say at all. But why listen to them? Why make them the voice into your life? When you have the God of the universe saying, here is my son, listen to him. Why seek their wisdom when you have the wisdom of God in the flesh, our Lord and Saviour? No one else can see the heart of man like Jesus, who saw their malice and their trap. No one else has understanding of God's will and law and his word like Jesus did when he answered that question. And so if we want to know wisdom, if we want to know the God of the universe and how he wants us to live in the world he has made, then we'll look to the wisdom that he has provided, Jesus. And we'll trust in him. We'll give his word first place in our life, as our friends were telling us just before. We'll prize his words and we'll prize his gospel, the good news of his life and death and resurrection. We'll think that's the most wonderful thing there is. And we'll seek to see and understand everything through his word and through his gospel. Every decision, every person and every day will be seen through his word. And we'll let his word and his gospel shape the way we think and feel, the way that we do life, the priorities we have, the things that we invest in. And we'll let Jesus scrutinize us rather than trying to scrutinize him. Yes, pay your taxes. But much, much more than that, give to God what is God's. Most of all, recognize his Son. Jesus, the truly wise one, and give him and his word its rightful place in your life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you again for the great clarity of Jesus. We praise you for the wisdom that you gave him, for the wisdom that he displayed as he pointed people to you and a right understanding of your word and your will. Father, we pray that you would help us to honour the word of Jesus in our lives, that you would help us to be all about the wisdom he has and is. We pray that your gospel would be the thing that shapes our lives and that in all things, all questions, or decisions, or circumstances of life, that we will ask, what does Jesus say? And then we will seek his words and live in light of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.